What's up, everybody? It's Michael for another episode here on the Unchurched Podcast. We're so excited. Yep, I completely fumbled that up. So excited that you're here to join us, and we hope that um, you had an enjoyable week and let this be the crown of a, a new week. Let's uh, have some fun. Keep on praying for Sean and his family. And um, we're believing God for the best for them. So, without further ado, happy recording day. Hey, welcome to the Unchurched Podcast, where your hosts, Michael and Sean, discuss issues of church, life, and religion. No subject is off limits, and our honesty and humor drives our discussion. We welcome you to sit in on the conversation and laugh with us as we challenge serious things. So pour your drink, kick your feet up, and let's get started with the show. So welcome to the Unchurched Podcast. We're going to keep this train going. Um, I tell you what, I've had one hell of a week. It's been crazy. I lost my canopy today, or not today, but last Wednesday. We had a huge storm roll through, and it was a bitch and a half. It was crazy. Um Actually, I'll have to put the picture on Instagram. I haven't done that yet. Uh, I put it on my personal Instagram, but not on the Unchurch Pod. But I will put it up there so that everybody can see it. Um, at least in reference to this episode. Um, so, storm came through. We had 80 mile an hour winds. And it was it was crazy. I had 20 pound sandbags on each uh, leg of the canopy and three of the legs came off the patio and uh, the thing just buckled under the wind and completely got destroyed I was heartbroken I was a little bit upset because um, most of you know I've said it so many times um, when I end my night the way that I end my night most nights is I sit out on that patio Underneath that canopy, I have strong lights up there, and um, I have myself a cigar and a glass of whiskey, and that's how I end the night. It's enjoyable for me. may not be your thing. That's okay. It's mine. And I make no apologies for how I uh, relax and, and end my night. Um, it's just what I like to do. And... Um, Sure as shit, that thing got destroyed. The furniture is alright still. Um, it's okay. The furniture is still there intact. It got really dirty with all the uh, debris that the wind brought over to the patio. Um, but thankfully, I was able to salvage the uh, the furniture. You know, I just cleaned off the, the pillows or whatever. And now I have to cover the patio 
uh, furniture uh, with the cover that I bought. I have to cover the patio furniture when it rains so that it doesn't get all soaked and nasty. Uh, but not a big deal. Like, if that's the worst thing that I have to do every night when I end the night, put the covers on it. If it's going to rain the next day, not a big deal. The bonus, though, the plus out of it is I talked about getting that solo stove for my birthday, which was an awesome gift from the wife that I asked for. It was great. Um, now, since I don't have a canvas over my head, I put the solo stove on the patio and I know it's a little close to the house. You know, we got a good like 10 feet. Um, it's a good 10 feet away from the house. It should be 15 according to cold, but the way I look at it or the way that I justify it, if you will, is to, you know, the solo stove is contained. It's, uh, you know, it's a smokeless fire pit, so I'm not getting a bunch of smoke in the house. I don't have the windows open because the AC is on. And, um, you know, I'm not worried about burning brick when the fire is contained inside of this stainless steel washer tub, <laughs> if you will. Um, but my, my neighbor was kind enough to come over. He sent me a text and said, hey, uh, sorry about your canopy. Um, you want some help tearing it down? And I was like, yes, please. I'm on my way out there right now. <laughs> so yeah, we took about a half an hour and just took it apart piece by piece. And I threw the, all the metal uh, at the side of the road and in front of the house, not the side of the road. I don't live off a highway. <laughs> I, I put the metal in front of the house for the trash guy and sure as shit. If I can get spiritual for a second, somebody got blessed with all that metal and they was able to take it to the scrap yard and get themselves 50 cents. So God bless the scrappers. Uh, you know, they were able to take the metal. And I put the uh, the canopy, the canvas, uh, in a bunch of different, uh, like four different garbage bags because it was so much. Um, and as a result, since then, I've been getting eaten alive, sitting out there on the patio smoking a cigar. And it's been a little bit miserable. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. The weather is breaking. And... Um, these mosquitoes got to die eventually. So I've got my my bug light, my bug zapper that I plug in. <laughs> and then uh, uh, in about an hour. Don't you love it when you're trying to record and you're getting text, text messages like crazy? <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, long story short, I've got the bug zapper on and I've got my thermosel, uh, that I, that I keep out there and try to keep myself bug free as much as possible. Plus smoking a cigar typically keeps them away too. Um, but lately it's been a bitch. I've got bug bites all over. Trying to be a good husband. The wife keeps forgetting to water the plants on the porch. So 
I'll go out there. If she hadn't done it, you know, in the morning, I'll go out there and start watering the plants. Well, sure as shit, all those plants are full of mosquitoes. <laughs> I get eaten alive. and I've been making fun of the wife all summer long because she's been complaining um, about getting bit. Uh, and now I'm the one getting ate up like crazy. Um, anyway. I uh, want to talk about something that uh, is kind of crazy. So, all right. First of all, let me preface this with don't judge me. <laughs> That's number one. Don't judge me. All right. I've been lately, the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot of Instagramming. More than usual. Uh, part of the reason is just the frequency of cooking. You know, I've been doing a lot of bomb-ass, really, really good barbecues. I've been smoking some good meats. And so I've been posting a lot. And my wife has helped me out because I'm really social media literate. Like, I have the hardest time navigating these apps and I never thought that I would ever say that out loud, but I'm almost 40 and I'm honestly just kind of over this shit. So I post something and she's like, well, you got to tag Weber or you got to do this and you got to do that. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. She's like, give me your phone. And so she shows me how to do all this shit. And so I've been doing all these different tags and, and shit and all of a sudden... From listening to her, I've been getting a lot more followers on my personal Instagram that's mostly food. <laughs> food and my boys. It's about all that I post on Instagram. And the occasional cigar and whiskey I'll post on there uh, if I'm smoking something that's really cool that I'm really enjoying. I'll post it on there. So for the most part, I've been getting... Uh, a lot of follows from people that uh, basically follow the big brands that I've been using, namely Weber and the few different cigars that I enjoy. So people have been following my page. It's been really cool. Well, you know, the algorithm kicks in and, you know, the stuff that you do and the stuff that you like. They just feed it to you like crazy. Everybody knows this. And I'm just talking right now. Um, so I've been getting all these different posts that I've been following. And then I, I discovered reels. <laughs> Again, don't judge me. <laughs> it just, I just discovered reels. And I've been going down these freaking rabbit holes with these reels. Because I, not only do I follow a bunch of cigar and and barbecue stuff but i'm like obsessed with like weightlifting and shit like that i mean like i told you guys before like i i've lost 40 pounds over the pandemic and a lot of that has been eating right and it's been working out a lot and so i've been watching a lot of these workout reels like looking at old school um lou ferrigno and Arnold Schwarzenegger and 
all these tough man competitions and blah, 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 blah. I've been looking at all this stuff. And in between those, apparently there's this genre of Christians who lift. <laughs> they they sneak in scriptures with the shit that they're lifting. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and da, 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 da. And so I started going down this Christian rabbit hole. And I come across this one that pops up. I'm sorry, if that's boring to you, you know, you would hate my Instagram because it it literally that's it. That's all I get. I don't have a porn problem. <laughs> so and I know there's a whole lot of that shit on there. Um but it's meats, cigars, whiskey, and weightlifting stuff. Anyway. The other day, I run across this this reel, and this chick was like, had some nice, sad music in the background, and she's like, this is the most terrifying scripture for Christians. And I'm like, all right, I'll bite. I won't just scroll past. I'll look at it because, you know, hey, it's been a long time since I've been scared of anything. By all means, entertain me. Show me what I should be afraid of in the scriptures. Matthew seven twenty one. Um, Matthew seven twenty one is the scripture that all Christians are supposed to be afraid of. And I know this verse. I've read it a million times. I've heard it preached a thousand times. Okay, this is what it says. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name we've cast out devils. And in your name done many wonderful works. Verse 23. I'll profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And I, I just, like she's, you know, she's shaking her head like real deep. Like, oh my God, this is so deep. This is so scary, you know, for Christians. Da 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 da. And I, I just looked at it, and I finally just scrolled past, and I'm just—I mean, it was the the video started over again because that was the end of it. It was like 30 seconds or whatever. Um. And my first thought was, holy shit! Like, there's. I've been saying for like the last year and a half that all this COVID shit is a whole lot of fear porn for a lot of people. You've heard me say it over and over again, that phrase, fear porn. Well, that same fear porn exists in the church. We're so busy preaching guilt and condemnation and shit like this that we lose sight of um, context of scripture. 
Whenever you read scripture, you have to read it in context. So what is the context of this passage? So Matthew chapter 7 is actually has to be taken in context of chapter 5 and chapter 6. Because Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus's air quotes, Sermon on the Mount. This is where he's got a big multitude of people that are following him all around the countryside because they want to see some miracles. They're not following him because they believe in him. They don't follow they're not following him because they, you know, believe that he actually is the son of God. They didn't. You had a bunch of scribes and Pharisees that were in uh, in that crowd as well that were following him, trying to trip him up. They wanted to see him perform a miracle on the Sabbath day because that was against the law. Let me just paint the rest of the picture for you in case you struggle with some guilt and condemnation over this verse and you fear that after serving the Lord for however long that you serve him, that when you get to heaven, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Allow me to just rant and vent, if, if you will, but it'll be good. I don't have any notes, so this is going to be super off cuff, and I'll try to keep it, you know, point by point by point, even though I don't have any notes right now. I'm just... I'm seriously going off of thinking about this for the last couple days since I've seen this reel and it's annoyed me a little bit, so I might cuss. Just bear with me. So you get Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It took three chapters to encapsulate this entire speech that Jesus did, but it's all one big speech. Keep in mind that... It wasn't until hundreds of years later after um, the Bible was translated into English, the King James Version. It was hundreds of years after that. Well, that was in the 1400s, right? When King James uh, put together, he wanted the English translation of the Bible from Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. Um, and then it was, it was quite a ways later that it was actually broken down into chapters and verses. So when you read the Bible, you, the word context is very, very key because your breakdown of chapters and verses isn't a uh, suitable way to interpret context, if you will. And so it's very difficult for people to be able to separate and find out who he's talking to and at what time. Let me just bring out this number one point. The Bible is broken up into two testaments. That word testament we've talked about before means covenant. Covenants are established, promises, the relationship that a covenant or agreement is established in is in blood, right? And so during the time of Jesus, there is a covenant that is set in place. It's a covenant that God had made with Abraham before the law. And then a covenant, a new covenant that was established, that was still old, with Moses. The law was given by Moses. 
right? But grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. That's John chapter 1, verse 17. That there you see a division between two major covenants, the old and the new. During the life of Jesus Christ on the earth, his three years of ministry, you have to understand that he was exercising the will of God under the old covenant. Now, this is something that a lot of people don't understand. I would argue that majority of Christians who are just ignorant to the Bible do not understand covenants and do not understand that when Jesus was on the earth, he lived under the old covenant. The new covenant of grace and truth wasn't established until after Jesus shed his blood, died on the cross, was buried, rose again three days later. That's when the institution of the new covenant came in. A lot of people think that the old covenant ended with Malachi. With the last book of the Bible. It didn't. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the first three called the Synoptic Gospels, the fourth is argued, but it's part of the Gospels. That is still under the Old Covenant. You don't see the New Covenant being established until after the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ. Because every covenant has to be established in blood. So in short, when Jesus did his sermon on the mount... You have to consider, that, number one, that he was still preaching the law. And part of Jesus' job in coming to the earth, it wasn't just to save the sinner. Another part of the reason why Jesus came was to call sin exceedingly sinful. In other words, he took the law and took it to the nth degree. He wanted to show us that, hey, like even when you look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, if, if you go back to uh, the previous chapter, I believe it's in chapter six, where he talks about um, where he talks about, you know, he, he says how it's been said in the book that whoever kills is worthy of death. But then he says, but I'll tell you something else, that he that is angry with his brother without a cause is also worthy of the judgment. You get that same judgment as if you've killed. He says that if, if you've laid with a woman that's not your wife, you commit adultery and you're guilty of the, of the crime, of the penalty. But I say to you that if you even look at a woman to lust after her, You've committed adultery already in your heart and you're just as guilty. What Jesus was doing when he was saying that he was like, look, here's what the law says. I want you to know that. That your heart will condemn you. Just by the desire, even if you don't act on the desire. Because that's how sinful mankind really is. This whole Sermon on the Mount was to show us that sin is exceedingly sinful. Like it, it can start small. It can start at, at one place, 
in your heart or just a thought and can be acted out on. But the guilt isn't established at the action. It's at the birth of the thought, of the desire. The whole point of it all is that every single one of us were born guilty because of the sin of Adam. You might say, Michael, that's very, very harsh that, you know, Jesus is taking the law to the nth degree and saying that, hey, before you even did the act, just the thought of the act causes guilt. You need to understand that it goes deeper than that. By the fact that you were born, conceived of a man and a woman, you're guilty before you even do an act. So Jesus wasn't wrong in taking the law to the nth degree. That's point number two. Point number three is that we need to understand who he was talking to. I'm not just saying Matthew 7.21. I'm talking about Matthew 5, 6, and 7 because all three chapters need to be taken in the same context. In chapter 5, he starts off talking about uh, the Beatitudes. That's when he's talking to those who are following him for the right reason. Right? It says he saw the multitude. He went into the mountain. And when he was set up, it was his disciples that came to him. That's chapter 5, verse 1. So in context, who he's talking to in the beginning of chapter 5, he's talking about you're blessed if you do this, you're blessed if you do that. He's talking to who he said he was talking to, his disciples. All right? And when he was teaching his disciples, he was warning them against the scribes and the Pharisees and the false teachers and the false doctrines. He's warning them about this. The scribes were the ones who wrote the law. The Pharisees are the ones that taught the law. If you didn't know, that's the difference between the two. Scribes, scribble, means to write. They were the writers. They were the ones that were duplicating it and translating it into all these different languages and blah, 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 blah. Pharisees were the ones that were actually teaching it in the temples. Those were the ones that were talking. In chapter 6, he warns them about the scribes and Pharisees and tells them to do the opposite of what they're doing. Imagine that. Jesus Christ coming in telling you, you should do the opposite of what your pastors are doing. Because they're crooked and they're wrong. They're snakes in the grass. Oh, I've got a great joke about a snake in the grass. Uh, I'll have to tell you another time. I don't want to get too distracted. Ah! <laughs> um, anyway, he talks against the scribes and the Pharisees and, um, and, and teaches that we should, you know, seek after God and God's heart and not follow after the uh, scribes and the Pharisees. Okay. Chapter seven, he goes hard. On all the people that were not his disciples. He goes hard on them. He starts off talking about judgment. 
starts talking about not judging one another for stupid shit. I am a firm believer, and I give this quote before. I gave this quote before. I can't remember. I think I said it was Abraham Lincoln. It might not have been him. Anyway, he said, the, the, the guy says that if God doesn't, if, if God reserves judgment to the end of men's days, why should I judge them now? Very, very powerful lesson to take when it comes down to judgment. And Jesus has this same stance. Not that he took it from Abraham Lincoln. I'm sure it was the other way around, but you know, whatever. You get what I'm saying. He talks about judgment. He talks about the moat in your eye and the beam. Like, don't talk about the moat in somebody else's eye when you got a beam coming out of yours. He calls them hypocrites. Who's he talking to when he calls people hypocrites? He's not talking about the people that actually have faith in him. All through scripture, who is he calling hypocrites? He's calling the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites. That's who he's calling hypocrites. And so if you want to keep shit in context, you need to understand who he was addressing the end of the message to when he started chapter 7. He wasn't talking to you Christians. Okay? Look, he says, verse 13... When he's talking about going to the straight and narrow, right? Straight is the gate in verse 14. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. He says, beware the false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Keep on going. Keep on going until you get to verse 21. He's talking about these scribes and Pharisees. Verse 18, a good tree can't bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down, is cut down and cast into the fire. That's why by your fruits, you're going to know them. And then he says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my father, which is in heaven. He's specifically talking about the scribes and the Pharisees that are hypocrites. But let's take these words for what they are. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean that you actually believe that he is Lord. He says, many will say in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Just because you work in the industry of ministry doesn't mean that you are a believer and a follower of Christ. You have to understand this. You have to understand the context. He wasn't talking about Christians that believe in him. Righteousness, being considered right by God, requires right believing. You have to remember, in the context of this passage, the scribes and the Pharisees that were following him during this time were only doing it to build a case that would have its culmination at the crucifixion of Christ. 
They were following him so that they can have reason to accuse him so that they can put him to death and end the insurrection, as they called it, of Jesus Christ on the earth, turning people away from the temple, making them, if you will, unchurched, pulling them away from the temple to follow him. You have to understand this. And if you just read a little bit further along, you can see it's, it's confirmed that much more that he wasn't talking to his believers. Okay? Verse 24 says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken them unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them and doesn't do them would be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain will come down, the floods will come, and the winds would blow and beat upon that house and it'll fall. And it'll be a great fall. People that hear the word of God and respond in faith Right? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? Faith is is established in us when we hear the word of God and we act on it. He says, "You're, you're a wise man who builds your house upon a rock. There's another wise man that, despite all of his faults, he proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ. His name was Peter. When Jesus went to his disciples and said, hey, look, who do people say that I am? Somebody said, oh, you're, you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah incarnate. You're this, you're that. Jesus looks and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter looked at him and said, hey, I've heard you all this time. This is what I believe. I believe that you're the son of God. And Jesus looked at him and said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. This is the Holy Spirit gave you this revelation of who I am. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you take that passage and you look at the context of it, unbeknownst to the Catholics, because they believe that Peter is the founder of the Catholic Church, the first apostle, the first uh, whatever. Jesus was saying that rock that he's talking about, it was the confession of faith. It was the confession of faith and the recognition, recognition of who he is, his personhood, him being God wrapped in flesh, him being the word of God made flesh according to John chapter 1. Him being the very Son of God. You can't take this passage, Matthew 7, 21, and allow that to breed fear in your heart of being rejected by God. You can't. To do that would be to eliminate the rest of Scripture that teaches us that 
Jesus Christ died for us when we were yet in our sins, separated from him completely because of sin, that he died for us. As Paul teaches in Romans chapter 5. The fact is, is that the law came by Moses. And Jesus was still living under that law. And so he elevated the law to the nth degree to show that sin was exceedingly sinful. But when he started talking in Matthew chapter 7, he wasn't talking to those who believed. He was challenging those that didn't believe. Because it was more that didn't believe in that crowd, that multitude that followed him to the, to the top of the mountain. It was more of them than were those that actually believed. Remember, he only had 12 that he called disciples. Everybody else was just kind of like teetering, teetering along. They're looking out, you know, looking at him, looking for, you know, miracles and shit, the stuff that he was doing. You got to remember that, man. You got to remember that. Remember Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. That word condemnation means to be proclaimed guilty. There's no guilt for you. There's no guilt for you. Romans chapter 8. To them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It talks about the law of the spirit of life. The law of life. Because that's the new covenant that we're in. We're in a covenant of life. It's where God promises us eternal life based on our faith in Jesus Christ. The old law was you need to do all of these things correctly. Because if you don't, you are guilty of the entire law. You're guilty of everything. You need to understand that, that the old covenant, they entered into that covenant with God through circumcision. Chopping off the foreskin of the weenie. Okay? <laughs> that is how you entered into that covenant, that first covenant with God. The second covenant requires a circumcision of the heart. That is a cutting away of the life of sin that we've lived, that we've not only lived, but the life of sin that we've been born into. You had no choice. You were born into this place of separation from God. We all were. The glory of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and shed his blood and died a brutal, gruesome death on the cross. But it wasn't just that he died. The fact is, is that he paid for every sin that you could ever commit, past, present, and future. If the future sins aren't taken into account with that blood, then those sins are greater than his blood. And no real Bible-believing Bible Christian would ever say or ever admit that the blood of Jesus Christ is not 
strong enough to wash away our sins. If you would profess that, then you deny the Bible. And therefore you are not a believer. And therefore you are not saved. And so, yeah, you'll be in that category of saying, Lord, Lord, haven't I done this for you? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the reason why he says, depart from me, I never knew you, is because you didn't believe that he is who he says that he is. The only way that Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 will apply to you as a Christian is if you're not really a true believer. That's the only way. God loved this world so much that he gave his only son so that whosoever believes in him would have everlasting life. That's what it says. You will not come into condemnation with God as long as you believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I don't care what else you've been taught by whoever you've been taught it by, but there is power in believing right. And I don't know why anybody would ever want to believe that you know, they're saved today, but tomorrow they might sin and therefore they'll lose their salvation. You're looking at the scripture wrong. You're looking at the scripture incorrectly. You have to understand that when it comes down to save or unsaved, it's a, it's a, it's a concept of positioning. I like to explain it this way. And hopefully it'll help some people. When we're living in sin, separated from God, we're born this way. We're literally in the kingdom of darkness. Completely separated from God. The blood of Jesus Christ is what rips that veil between death and life. It tears away that separation of uh, us from God. It translates us from just being creations of God to being sons of God. It establishes relationship. It brings us into a new covenant. Okay. And when we do that, we enter into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of life. Not death, but life. If one sin was able to take you from life right back to death, then that one sin is greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. Because here's the promise that God gave to his son. And Jesus proclaims this promise. This is actually prophesied in the Old Testament in the time of the prophets. Jesus said that, Father, I thank you when he's, uh, when he's praying, when he's praying to the Father, he says, Father, I thank you. I think this is John chapter 17. I'm going to look it up. I'm pretty sure it's John 17. He says, God, I thank you that those that you put in my hand, there's no one that can pluck them away. 
<laughs> oh my god. It is so amazing this prayer in John 17. Uh let's see if I can find it where it says it. Oh. So John 17 he's he's praying to the Father and he's praying for all of those who believe in him and he's praying for all of those that will come to believe in him. It's a very very powerful prayer. He says glorify your son so that your son can glorify you. You give me power over all flesh, life eternal. Uh, that they may know you, the true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, uh, I've manifested your name uh, to the men that you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They've kept your word. Um. I gave them the words that you gave me, and they believe that you have sent me. He says, I pray for them. I don't pray for the world, but for those who you gave me, for all of them are yours. And all of mine is yours. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, keep them through your own name. Uh, Just read chapter 17. I've given them your word. The world hates them because they're not of the world. I don't pray that you will take them out of the world, but that you will keep them from evil. Sanctify them through your truth because your word is truth. It's a very powerful verse, seventeen seventeen. Because it, it, if you go back to John chapter 1, you see that Jesus is the word. He's the living word. He's the word that became flesh. And he declares himself the word is truth. It, it, it's just amazing. And I don't really have the time to go into breaking down why that's so awesome. Um, maybe another time. Uh, he says, I don't just pray for them, but I pray for all those that are going to believe on me through their word. It's an amazing thing. He prays that we will be one, that we'll be one in the truth. Um, anyway, he prays that we'll be kept. And the fact is, is that because we'll be kept, uh, because God will keep us, Jesus is praying that God will keep us, the ones that God has given to Christ, us that believe in him nobody can take us away from him and no one can take us out of his hand in other words um as long as you have faith in jesus christ as long as you believe that his blood is enough to save you to sanctify you holy i don't mean holy as an h-o-l-y that is true but I mean, holy as W H O, you know, whole L E. <laughs> I almost forgot how to spell it. <laughs> oh. 
our faith in him is enough to make us whole. It's enough to make us completely whole and holy as well. It doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. But the point of the covenant is that it is faith that saves us. It's faith that causes us to be in right standing with God. And it is faith that would keep us as well, despite our sin, despite our shortcomings, despite our faults. And you have to believe that in order to be a Christian. Because Jesus died for your sins, all of them, all that you've done, all that you're doing and all that you're going to do in the future. He died for them all. He talks about in Hebrews, or the writer of Hebrews, some argue Paul, some say someone else. It doesn't say. But most theologians believe that it was Paul. Um, he, he talks about in, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, the fact that uh, once we are saved... And once we belong to him, uh, that if we were to believe that our sins would cause us to no longer be saved, he asked the question, he says, what, is Christ to be crucified again afresh? Absolutely not. And the point that he was bringing out is the fact that the blood of Christ is sufficient enough to not only save us, but to keep us saved. Salvation doesn't mean that you will never sin again. It means that you're translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from death to life. It means to be born again. It doesn't mean that you will never, ever sin again. It's to be reborn. So if you consider a baby that's just born, it has life. It's going to it's going to fuck up. It's going to mess up. It's going to lose its footing. It's going to trip, it's going to fall. But not at one point because of a skinned knee are you going to as a parent declare that that is no longer your child. Why do we think any less of God? It blows my mind that we teach in the church so contrary to scripture. We teach that one sin is powerful enough to wash away the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not so. Trust the scripture. Trust the Bible. Fuck whoever's teaching you differently. Trust the scripture. Trust it. Don't worry about Matthew 7.21. He wasn't talking about you if you're a Christian, if you're a believer. He wasn't talking about you. He's talking about those hypocrites. By definition, those are people that are just faking it. Hypocrite actually comes from the word that means to act. It means to act. It means to put on a face. 
Hypocrisy is the original blackface. No, I'm joking. Um, It is. It is to act. That's what it means. And if you're not acting, then you don't have anything to worry about. The good thing is that when we slip up, when we fall, we have an advocate with the father. (laughs) Oh, God, this is. Of uh, this is literally the gospel. First John chapter two, verse one, my little children, he's talking about the sons of God, he's talking about Christians here. He says, these things are right to you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The fact is, is that the only one that is expected to be perfect was perfect. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. Neither was guile ever spoken from his mouth. As the prophet says. Never sinned, not a once. That's why he was the perfect sinless sacrifice for us. He fulfilled the Passover feast by being the sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish. And it's his perfection that gets attributed to us through faith. At the end of the day, without faith, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 1, it is, or verse 6, it is completely impossible to please God. Because the fact is, is that the first covenant was established, again, with blood. But it was all dependent upon the performance of you. But after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the covenant was established by blood once again, the blood of the Son of God. And the terms were no longer our perfection, but the perfection of the Son of God. That's why it's important that we believe that he was completely sinless. Because him being without sin helps to establish the covenant that gives us everlasting or eternal life. That keeps us in right standing with God. To believe anything different is to only condemn yourself. And there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So what do you want to believe? I'll close it with this. What is it that you want to believe? Do you want to be fearful and condemned because of Matthew 7, 21, 22, 23? You know, many say to me, Lord, Lord, they're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. I want to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You want to attribute that to yourself? Or do you want to attribute the truth to yourself? That, hey, even when you sin, because you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The one that's in right standing with God. We are in right standing with God because Jesus was in right standing with God. And our faith with him, his righteousness, is attributed to us. For he took him who knew no sin to be sin for us. 
so that we whose sin can take on his righteousness and be called the righteousness of God. That's what the scripture says. Which one do you, what do you want to believe? I choose to believe that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because God took him who knew no sin. Jesus Christ to become sin for us so that we who did no sin can become righteous, literally become the righteousness of God. That's uh, Hebrews 11 verse 17. I'm going to fact check myself. Because it's been a while since I... <laughs> uh, uh, it's not Hebrews eleven seventeen. I said it was 17. It's not 17. It's 20. Uh, it's one of those. <laughs> uh, it's one of those. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I was way off. <laughs> Sometimes we are way off. I was way off on the address. But 2 Corinthians 5.21. We have made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I knew that. Don't judge me. So uh, choose what you want to believe. Righteousness is about right believing. We believe in Jesus Christ, the righteous. We become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus Christ, the righteous, became sin for us. And our faith causes us to enter into relationship, right relationship with God. So that he knows us. Our righteousness through right believing causes us to become the literal sons of God. And if I can end it with this, I'll end it with this. No parent forgets their kids. It's just that simple. Matthew seven twenty one, when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Those weren't his children that he was referring to. If you as a parent will never forget your kids. Believe me. Don't think so little of God. You're not better than him. He would never forget his kids. The covenant that we enter into through the blood of Christ is that of sonship. He's not going to forget you. Be encouraged. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. When you enter into the gates of heaven on that glorious day, trust me, you'll be welcomed with open arms. Scripture talks about he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's going to console us 
and we're going to enter into this glorious host of heaven, of angels and saints from the beginning of time, all bowing down before him, worshiping him, crying out to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. We'll worship him for the sacrifice that he's made and paying the penalty, the cost of our sin and saving us and bringing us to a place of forgiveness and redemption and family. There won't be any more worry or anxiety or anything that would cause us to be fearful of any judgment or anything like that. We'll be satisfied in the worship of our king. Selah, baby. Selah. So, hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed the rant. It was fun to me. Hopefully it was fun to you. <laughs> Check us out at unchurchedpodcast.show. Our Twitter and Instagram is there at unchurchedpod. I haven't looked at our, our uh, social media in a while. Usually Sean's got that shit unlocked, but I better look at it and see if we actually are up to date with all of our shit. Either way, drop us a like, a comment, share us wherever you listen to us. And we love you a long time. Peace.